0: Overdose overload.
1: We have six people dying every day. We know that the illicit drug supply is toxic.
0: Record deaths from toxic drugs and what really frustrates B.C.'s coroner.
2: Remarkable progress rebuilding the Coquihalla.
0: We are confident that it could reopen in early January.
2: How they could get traffic flowing on a much quicker timeline also.
0: It's absolutely unbelievable.
2: Minister Farnworth surveys the damage in Merritt. And
3: tis the season. The main message here is don't drink and drive and watching the video I think it's uh, pretty clear why not. Shocking
0: video as a drunk driver records his own crimes. You're watching
4: Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6.
2: Good evening and thanks for joining us. The heartbreaking toll from the toxic drug crisis shows no signs of slowing down, with B.C.'s chief coroner saying October was the worst month yet.
0: In fact, the first 10 months have already made 2021 the deadliest year yet. And as Ramina Dea reports, despite massive investments in treatment and recovery spaces, those battling drug addiction say it's still a struggle to get the help they need.
5: This is what freedom looks like, 60 days clean. Kevin Tierney is about to set eyes on
6: his new home. This is wonderful. This is absolutely
5: amazing. You can feel the weight of his gratitude as he remembers his past. Have you overdosed? Uh, Six times. Six times?
7: Yeah. So I consider myself very lucky just to be alive today.
5: Alive, but grieving the loss of most of his friends. Poisonous street drugs, killing people faster than the rate of COVID-19. Today we will lose six more people.
1: Tomorrow we will lose six more people. And by
5: Christmas we'll
1: have lost another 40 or 50 members of our communities. And that is just not acceptable any longer.
5: More than 200 dead in October alone, a grim record for B.C. The first 10 months of 2021, more deadly than all of last year. The chief coroner clearly frustrated with the lack of safe supply because not all doctors are on board. Plus the pace of government action, given we're in year six of a public health emergency, more than 8,300 victims and counting. The increased toxicity of the drugs, um, illicit street drugs, have outpaced uh, the historic rate of expansion of our addictions care system. The greatest obstacle, a lack of long-term stable housing, says Tierney, who's been in and out of drug treatment and in and out of jail. The 40-year-old has spent 10 years of his adult life behind bars.
7: Being released from from jail and back into the community, there is not enough support for that transition. Most guys get released with less than $500 in their pocket and nowhere to go.
5: So what's different this time? After nine months in prison for property crimes, Tierney went straight from jail into drug treatment at Phoenix Society. Next step, transitional housing for two years. For me, this little apartment is everything. Tierney has resuscitated his life. He's already registered for school with ambition of going into the trades. From hopeless to hopeful, he's living proof.
7: A big piece of why I'm trying so hard is so my poor mother doesn't have to bury her
6: son.
5: Romina Dea, Global News. Taking a look at
2: our COVID-19 numbers now, we have 341 new cases, just shy of 3,000 active cases right now. 220 people are in hospital with 73 of those patients in the ICU. Nine more people have died from complications of the virus, including a person in their 30s. And 88.3% of eligible British Columbians aged 12 and older are now fully vaccinated. Keith Baldray joins us now with more. Keith, we just saw there a person in their 30s died Mm -hmm. in the last 24 hours. Uh, You have some new data providing fresh insight into who we are losing at this stage in the pandemic.
8: Yeah, the age of people dying is of great interest to people. As a matter of fact, in the last three months alone, 18 people in their 30s, two people in their 20s have died of COVID-19, almost all of them unvaccinated. Today, the Centre for Disease Control released a new age breakdown for the period covered in October and November by age on a typical week. These are weekly statistics and averages. Two people under the age of 50 die each week. Four people in their 50s pass away. Eight people in their 60s die of COVID. Eleven people in their 70s. And every week, 17 people were over the age of Age of 80 were dying of COVID-19. Now the Center for Disease Control says the deaths are basically split 50% 50% between vaccinated and unvaccinated. But of the va- the vaccinated people who are dying, almost all of them are over the age of 80, which suggests all those other numbers I showed you there are unvaccinated people. So on any given week in that uh, two-month time frame, more than 20 people over the age of uh, under the age of uh, 80 were dying of COVID-19, including people in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. It's, uh, As our case numbers come down, our death numbers remain high, and that includes 30 year olds.
2: Mm. Pretty troubling. All right, thanks for that, Keith.
8: The Canadian Federation of
0: Independent Business is raising another big red flag about the critical labor shortage hitting small businesses. As Ted Chernecki reports, it's calling on the government to take action, including making earnings for some older workers tax free.
4: Here at Romer's Burgers, you can see the temporary foreign workers program in action. The owners were lucky in that they started recruiting before the pandemic.
9: I'm from Mexico.
4: Now everyone's looking for staff, and it can take close to a year to get a foreign worker on Canadian soil.
9: It's a pretty bureaucratic program, but so, you know, they could be streamlined. We would like, you know, people to government to to work on on making it easier for small businesses to be able to, to get staff through that program.
4: This labor shortage started long before COVID baby boomers are retiring. I retired uh, 15 years ago. There's a disconnect on what trade schools are teaching and what the labor market needs. The stop-and-go reopening of the economy frustrated hospitality workers especially, to the point many of them just quit and retrained for something else.
9: There's some demographic challenges, there's people, uh, not able to get, uh, you know, the uh, mismatch of skills, lack of applicants in general. So, you know, it, it's a complex issue.
4: And the labor shortage is Canada wide, worse in some provinces than others.
9: In BC, we're actually the fourth worst in Canada, we're at 59%.
4: Among a dozen recommendations, the CFIB is calling for the province to coordinate with Ottawa and improve the temporary foreign workers process. Currently, it just takes too long. Through tax credits, stimulate automation. Better utilize the wealth of experience of the recently retired by allowing them to work tax-free. And ensure employment insurance doesn't keep workers from returning. In the report, small business owners say on average, 58% of their workers told them they prefer to stay on EI.
9: We need to make sure that, that government is not making EI uh, preferable or, or, or better uh, than going to work, you know, uh Small businesses need staff.
4: Notice how fast these workers work. That's a skill set developed in a previous workplace.
10: Did you used to work on a cruise ship?
4: Oh, yeah. And it's not like Canadian small business hasn't had to pay more. 82% say they have increased wages, but in 47% of those cases, it has not helped. There simply are no applicants, and you can't entice a worker who's not there. Ted Shernecki Global News.
2: Well, crews are making great progress, repairing damage from last month's floods, and now the province expects the Hala to reopen to trucks weeks earlier than first predicted. As John Hua reports, the news comes as provincial leaders get a first-hand look at the vast amount of repair work that still needs to get done.
4: It's absolutely unbelievable. A
3: concrete bridge mangled like it was made out of paper. Just one of the many examples of how recent storms and flooding showed the city of Merritt no mercy. It makes you
10: really realize that the power of water, uh, it's incredible.
3: BC's Deputy Premier and Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth coming to see the devastation firsthand. And to tell this haggard and heartbroken community, help is here.
0: We're here to, to, to work with the, the local community. We're working with the federal government, with First Nations, to make sure that we get Merritt back on its feet, that it's, that it's built back better, that it's built back stronger.
3: For many places like this, the recovery work hasn't even begun. Hundreds of properties have been damaged by flooding. So many are still unable to return home.
11: We know that they know this has happened, but this is now their experience as well. They can actually see uh, the damage for themselves. And and I think that is crucial in having them understand what our needs are.
3: At a time when the province is trying to prove to merit, it's not alone, when it comes to key highways connecting this province, there is good and bad news. The timeline to reopen the Coquihalla has been bumped up from late to early January.
6: We can look at
0: making Highway 3 and possibly Highway 99 available after the Coquihalla is restored and designated for commercial vehicles.
3: But that's still not soon enough for those hoping to use those highways between Metro Vancouver and the interior to be with family over the holidays.
0: I would advise leisure travel to not happen.
3: There will be more options to travel by air, and the highway restrictions won't apply to intercity buses. The bottom line, protecting the supply chain takes priority.
0: We'd have people laid off for Christmas, and that would be the worst possible thing.
3: Flying over Merritt, the message of what is needed most right now is clear.
11: Our first and and top priority is housing for those who cannot go back to their own home.
3: While a picture might be worth a thousand words and plenty of those were spoken during this visit, you can be sure for the people of Merritt, concrete
0: action will count for a whole lot more. John Hua, Global News. And we are starting to get a clearer picture of just how much November's devastating floods are going to cost. According to the Insurance Bureau of Canada, their partial estimate is $450 million. But that number only covers insured homes, businesses and vehicles. It doesn't include public infrastructure like highways or properties like those on Sumas Prairie that can't be insured.
12: We look at the damage uh,
4: to folks who who have been hit the hardest and likely, unfortunately, do not have uh, access to insurance. Uh, it is going to be substantial, and I would I would suggest that the vast majority of costs associated uh, with these floods is going to ultimately be borne by government and
0: borne by taxpayers. The overall bill for cleanup and repairs is expected to work out to at least five billion dollars, and of course, it's in times of great need that British Columbians come together to help. Global BC, 980 CKNW, AM730, and Global Okanagan are all partnering for BC Together in support of BC Flood Relief. Just visit globalnews.ca slash bctogether to check out the vetted and qualified groups stepping up to help out and donate to an organization of your choice.
2: The barge that still won't budge might be the biggest blight on the Vancouver waterfront, but it's far from the only one. Increasingly, derelict boats are plugging up our waterways. Why, some say it's time for a made-in-B.C. solution. Next on the NewsHour.
1: It's such a beautiful and peaceful place here.
0: Virtual Earth, how B.C. technology is helping astronauts feel more at home while they're in space, and why it might work for those in COVID isolation, too. That's coming up.
2: And a made-in-B.C. breakthrough that could usher in a new age of
0: wearable tech. Right now, though, the grounded barge on Sunset Beach has been generating all the headlines and punchlines, but there are dozens of smaller derelict boats moored nearby in False Creek.
2: Those vessels are not only eyesores, they're also hazards to navigation and threats to the environment. But as Jordan Armstrong reports, cleaning them up is a complicated, expensive, and bureaucratic process.
12: Wreck recovery at Granville Island. The sailboat Tango, towed here by Skookum Yacht Services for scrapping. After sinking off Jericho Beach, in the November windstorm.
8: It hit
9: the breakwater at the RVYC Jericho station. Uh, The keel came off at some point, so then it came up and it was floating at the surface upside down.
12: Deemed a navigation hazard by Transport Canada, the Tango's disposal will be paid for by the taxpayer, another unclaimed vessel you're paying to get rid of older boats not cheap for their owners to recycle properly.
9: It could easily be 10 to 20 grand to get rid of a boat responsibly and the real problem of course is that no no boat owner is going to do that willingly if they can turn around and sell it for two or three grand instead.
12: Now obvious wrecks are one thing, dilapidated liveaboards are another and False Creek has plenty of those. It's
9: a parallel thing going on with
12: the housing situation in Vancouver and people just can't afford Uh, to live here. But who's keeping track of this situation? Transport Canada told us, quote, if a boat is still occupied, the city of Vancouver is responsible for the administration and control of anchoring in False Creek by using a permitting system for vessels to anchor for a limited period of time. We asked the city of Vancouver for an
8: interview. And they declined we're as a society pushing our provincial government to take more responsibility
12: the Dead boats disposal society believes the current structure involves too many agencies too much federal red tape they want a made in bc body to deal with derelict vessels and docks
8: i want to see something getting done even the cost of our derelict boats have gone up exponentially because of the way we have to deal with it right now
12: the big barge may get the bulk of attention But many will tell you the
0: smaller wrecks are the bigger problem. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. A recent study led by researchers from UBC found the two-year heat wave nicknamed the blob in the Pacific Ocean may have reduced the ocean's ability to absorb carbon. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on the findings and the possible long-term implications. Christy.
11: Yes. Yeah, so, Chris, our oceans actually play a critical role in the reduction of carbon from our atmosphere. Twenty five percent of the world's uh, carbon dioxide emissions are actually absorbed into the ocean. But this uh, study found that the blob or these periods of above average water temperatures were which have been caused by climate change. They've actually altered the type of phytoplankton in the ocean phytoplankton are like trees. They absorb the carbon from our atmosphere. Now, this carbon ends up staying in the ocean for thousands of years by either going up the food chain or by dying and sinking to the bottom of the ocean. It's called a carbon sink. When
2: there's no heat waves, they were bigger. And then when the block came, you had smaller phytoplankton uh, cells, also some that wasn't as heavy, so they don't sink out as easily. So it's adding to this really... to to this growing pool of data and evidence that marine heat waves such as the blob are disrupting entire ecosystems.
11: Also, the study was done when the first ever blob existed, so they're not actually sure how long it took for the food web to recover or whether it did at all. They say that there's much more work that needs to be done. For more information on this, though, you can go to our website at globalnews.ca.
0: All right. Thanks very much, Christy. We'll check in later for the
9: forecast.
2: Coming up, still waiting in Surrey. We haven't done anything
9: to uh, inform the public about what's going on with the budget.
2: Mayor McCallum takes heat for delaying budget debate.
9: And a
0: first hand account of that dramatic rescue attempt above Niagara Falls and the danger they face.
1: Good evening and some good news here in Burnaby. Final clearing stages of a multi-vehicle crash westbound on Hastings at Willingdon. Westbound is down to just a single lane, so a little bit backed up. Planning a trip with BCAA Travel Insurance, you get free COVID-19 medical coverage and worldwide virtual care from BC's top choice. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash on Hastings and Willingdon in Burnaby.
0: The year-end is almost here, but the city of Surrey has yet to reveal how it plans to spend about a half billion dollars in taxpayer money in 2022.
2: The mayor says the budget will be out in a few weeks, leaving many to wonder what's in it and how to pay for it. Katherine Urquhart reports. It's B.C.'s second largest city, but Surrey's annual budget for
1: 2022 is still a mystery. Taxpayers in Surrey should be
9: very very concerned about this budget
1: this year surrey expects to take in 436 million dollars from property taxes critics say the budget is coming in late and there has been no public consultation
11: normally at this time of the year usually around mid-november the budget is made public we have a two-week period where the public has the opportunity to provide comments and input on our budget here we are Almost one month later, we've seen nothing.
1: Also a concern, how the budget will be affected by the new Surrey
9: Police Service. Certainly the elephant in the room is the Surrey Police Service and the impact it's going to have on every single one of us, every single resident in Surrey is going to uh, have an impact on their bottom line.
1: Mayor Doug McCallum declined an on-camera interview but made this promise during an interview with CKNW.
4: I can tell you that the tax increase um, will be 2.9%. And um, that has been consistent, it's been 2.9% increase for the last three years.
1: That increase would be low, less than half Vancouver's 6.35% increase. And it still needs approval. So for now at least, details of Surrey's budget remain a secret. Catherine Urquhart, Global News.
2: Well, the cost of living continues to climb, and when it comes to food prices, there doesn't seem to be much relief.
0: No, a new report suggests food costs will continue to soar in the new year, with the details on which food groups will be hardest hit. Here's Consumer Matters reporter Andrew And
13: Thanks, Chris. Expect to see more sticker shock in the grocery aisle. Food experts are forecasting that several provinces could see higher-than-average food inflation rates in 2022, including B.C. With rising food prices, shopping on a budget isn't easy.
6: you are trying to buy as little as possible, but you have to have some food in the house. I try and make the
13: list just for absolute necessities. And expect that trend to continue. In its 12th annual Canada's Food Price Report, a consortium of four universities predicts it will be more difficult to put food on the table. The report forecasts overall food prices will increase by 5 to 7%. Dairy could see the biggest increase between 6 to 8%, baked goods between 5 and 7%, vegetables 5 to 7, fruits 3 to 5 and meat will continue to rise. The surge in prices attributed to a variety of factors including the continued effect of COVID-19 and a rise in transportation costs and
1: supply chain disruptions transportation issues and maritime capacity issues. There's also um, a lot of labour market challenges happening, uh, specifically in the food service industry. So I think all of those factors, um, of course, are driving food prices. Overall, a
13: family of four next year is predicted to spend over $14,000 annually on food. That's an increase of up to $966 compared to last year. The report also notes BC, along with several other provinces, may see higher increases than the national average of up to 7% in 2022.
14: Even though BC prices are going to be looking at it, predicted to be going up, it might not mean that all of them will. Meat might be higher, dairy may be higher, fruit and vegetables might be flat.
13: Still, extreme weather events like record-breaking heat and drought, wildfires and flooding are expected to have an impact at checkout.
1: A big issue with what was driving food prices in 2021 was um, transportation issues or uh, supply chain issues. And I think the flooding um, has created or exasperated those issues. But food economists
14: say there's no need to panic. I say trust in your food supply system and your food production system. They're excellent managers, they're excellent at adjusting, but do note that those numbers speak the, the value of that there will be different products that will go up. If you're a meat eater, you're going to feel it.
13: Which for some consumers, it means making adjustments and becoming more selective when walking down the food aisle. The report also notes menu prices at restaurants are predicted to increase with rising food prices, rising commercial rents and labor shortages. Also predicted a greater reliance on food banks. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca.
0: All right, and Thank you very much. A group of UBC researchers have made a breakthrough that could usher in a new age of wearable tech. The team has created a battery that's both flexible and washable. The metallic components of the battery are ground up and then embedded in a flexible plastic for an airtight, waterproof and flexible power supply. The materials are low cost and the flexible batteries could be used to create powerful watch straps or even sewn into clothing.
13: We have something that's safe, we have something that is flexible and conformable so we can now put that next to the skin or in clothing and it will be comfortable. And it also uh, generates power uh, and and we can wash it, so, which is
0: something really unique. The research team says the potential uses for their batteries, almost limitless. Looks pretty cool. Mm -hmm.
2: Up next, a drunk driver captures it all on video. The dash cam recording that helped convict him.
0: And the FDA greenlights a new weapon against COVID that is not a vaccine.
2: Each of us has our reasons to end cancer. And we can, from the patient receiving a diagnosis to the researcher on the cusp of the next breakthrough. This is personal. Give today at bccancerfoundation.com
1: traffic is steady over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge in both directions right now. Just a little bit of leftover volume for eastbound traffic on the east-west connector through Richmond between Knight and the S-Curve. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermit Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermak Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge.
2: Well, the U.S. Coast Guard has tackled missions well beyond its geographic borders, putting out fires, searching for missing persons, and conducting high-risk operations like the one witnessed by so many in niagara falls on wednesday
0: global shalima maharaj spoke with one of the first responders who braved the icy water we call it a swift
9: water rescue it's not something that we train for every day
5: and this wasn't something darian durier and his michigan-based crew had encountered before a car sitting about 18 meters from the brink on the american side of niagara falls
9: we started headed towards uh, that position. It took us about an hour transit to get out there and on our route uh, going past London, Canada, we hit about a pretty good snowstorm with about half a mile visibility and 600-foot ceilings and we were having to dodge around some of the windmills that are out there in order to, to reach the falls in the most direct route.
5: The 28-year-old helicopter rescue swimmer has been with the U.S. Coast Guard for more than a decade. The decision was made to lower him to within two to three feet of the submerged car.
9: And one of the big things for the aircraft was the mist from the falls was actually coming back on the aircraft and actually causing us to ice over fairly quickly. And our aircraft does not have any de-ice capability. So that's a very big uh, factor for us when we're executing a case.
5: Lieutenant Andrew Cadill is a pilot with the Coast Guard. He says while they're U.S. based, they respond to calls beyond their borders.
3: So it's not just mutually an American citizen that we provide for, but we're, I mean, you guys are one of our greatest allies, one of our greatest partners, and so we are more than willing to help any Canadian citizen that's in danger as well.
5: Shalima Maharaj, Global News.
2: Burnaby RCMP are highlighting the effects of drunk driving from a rarely seen angle. Take a look. This is dash cam footage from a Cadillac Escalade. The driver, a 62-year-old man who is drunk. You can see driving in a straight line is beyond his capability at this moment, frequently crossing the center line. Then he does some off-roading in a ditch, but that doesn't stop him. The driver continues, hits some parked cars and a fire hydrant causing $28,000 in flood damage to nearby homes. Even that didn't stop him. A few minutes later, he crashed into a stop sign, and that is when RCMP caught up with him.
3: Uh, it's a bird's eye view, and I think, I think the main message I would say is we have pedestrians crossing the street. We have many people driving. There are. This is just a portion of the video. I would ask anyone that sees this video to you know, picture those people crossing the street being yourself or a loved one. As, as blurry or as dark a view that we had, a drunk driver or someone impaired by drugs can't even see what we saw. It's a time of year where uh, generally some people that maybe don't even drink will have a, a drink or two and think it's okay to drive and it's not. And uh, making one bad decision puts you behind that wheel.
2: Well, the incident actually happened back in January, and this summer, the driver was convicted of drunk driving. He was handed a one-year driving prohibition and a $1,000 fine.
0: In Health Matters tonight, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has granted emergency approval for a preventative COVID-19 injection aimed at people with weakened immune systems. This drug is not a vaccine. Rather, it's an antibody cocktail made by AstraZeneca and it can be given every six months. Experts say it's best suited for cancer patients, organ transplant recipients, and people with severe allergies to normal vaccinations. It's been approved for people age 12 and older.
2: Just ahead, a man some call the saint of East Vancouver. So I'm able to share this experience and change the life of these young guys. The incredible story of Jimmy Crescenzo and his East End
0: Boys Club. But first, a virtual reality experience that's out of this world, designed to help astronauts cope with the isolation of space. You're watching Global News Hour at 6.
2: All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon uh, for a weather forecast. Christy, I was trying to remember what the weather was like today, and the best I could come up with was... I'm pretty sure it wasn't awful. <laughs> but wait.
11: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but wait. You just have to wait one day, really, so. Uh, so we do have a slight potential of a bit of snow. It's certainly feeling cold enough out here. The system's driving in tomorrow morning, and when it first does, there is a chance we could see a bit of snow. Quickly, though, that would wash away. Here's a quick look, though. Some computer models are showing that overall, though, the freezing level will be uh, high enough that we would just see it over our higher elevations. Certainly, see to Sky Highway expecting significant snowfall. Again, this is through the day tomorrow and into our Saturday. Uh, a lot of that snow, though, in Squamish will likely change over to rain. We've got tons of water. Watches and mornings. The key that you need to know here is that we are expecting snow on the Sea to Sky Highway again tomorrow and into a Saturday morning as well anywhere east of Hope. Now for the lower mainland, heavy rain after the slight potential of snow in the morning, heavy rain as well windy conditions. And the heaviest rain is expected later tomorrow into our Saturday morning. There's a system just driving into the south coast in the morning hours and then it really picks up. Also snowfall expected in the interior overnight tomorrow night to our Saturday. So again, for the southern interior regions, not much precipitation during the day, but it picks up tomorrow night and through the day Saturday. Snowfall for you. South coast, we'll see the rain pick up in the morning. We are expecting it to be heavy late in the day tomorrow and especially tomorrow night with the potential for some power outages with those windy conditions. But it eases off in the afternoon on Saturday to just a chance of showers. Tonight's central windows weather window comes to you from Comox, from Liz Forward. And nice to see us. There's still a little bit of snow on the ground there. This was taken yesterday, though. Okay, back to you guys. All right, thanks, Christy.
0: Love that blue sky. All right, SFU is joining up with NASA and other international space agencies to help astronauts deal with isolation, and they use virtual reality.
2: As Kamal Karmali shows us, the same technology could also help people experiencing COVID-related loneliness right here on Earth.
10: A deer grazing. Campfire crackling, the sun setting, sights and sounds to help astronauts feel grounded.
1: So you put it on like a scuba diving mask.
10: Katrina Stepanova, an SFU student, created this virtual reality simulation. Oh, wow. (laughs) This looks very real. To allow those traveling through space to still feel connected to Earth.
1: And it connects to this experience of of, uh, camping with your family when you were a kid and you get to connect with nature and your friends there.
10: And it's really taken off, now being used at a space flight simulation in Moscow, Russia. It's a partial view of uh, the simulated station. Several space agencies, including NASA, are taking part in more than 70 experiments examining psychological and physical effects of long-duration space flights. A crew of six are now locked into this grounded spacecraft for eight months, roughly the time it takes to get to Mars. Stepanova's virtual reality experience is being used to try and reduce some of the harmful effects of isolation.
5: We know that people have cognitive decline, so So literally, your brain uh, deteriorates if you're in space, if you don't move, if you're in zero gravity. Can we provide them with something uh, that might help them to reconnect?
10: But the VR experience has also expanded its use during the pandemic, offering people in lockdown or isolation a feeling of the outside world.
5: We all experience this, basically what it means like to be isolated from the people we love, that we care about, we're not allowed to go into nature, to go anywhere, to move, to travel, to
12: see each other.
10: With another seven months to go until these volunteers get to leave the simulated spacecraft, Stepanova won't know the results of the VR experiment for some time.
1: The ideal outcome would be that it was uh, able to support their emotional state, help them relax kind of reduce their stress levels. But
10: there's hope that one day one of her VR experiences actually makes it into space. Until then, she plans to keep...
1: Hopefully it's the first step to a longer journey.
10: ...shooting for the stars. Kamala Kermali, Global News.
2: Next up, a holodeck.
0: <laughs> wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> uh, Love that. Some Canucks fans must feel like they're in an altered reality uh, <laughs> ever since the management changed, wouldn't you say, Squire? Well, the Canucks are truly the old boys club now. Mm-hmm. The coach is 66, going on
7: 67, and the new president is 72. But they know they're hockey. The Canucks have gone to the Hockey Hall of Fame to get their new president. Jim Rutherford, who has won three Stanley Cups as a general manager, will take over the Canucks. And he is the interim GM, but he will hire a new GM to work underneath him.
2: And later, the East End Boys Club, helping young men stay on the right path with help from some of BC's wealthiest. us has our reasons to end cancer and we can from the patient receiving a diagnosis to the researcher on the cusp of the next breakthrough this is personal give today at bccancerfoundation.com
0: all right the joke going around is that stan smeal leaves as the only undefeated general manager Mm -hmm. in canucks history
7: two and oh it's true it's accurate Mm -hmm. and apparently Apparently, the Canucks love having a guy named Jim running the team because they hired Jim Rutherford as the new president of hockey operations, also the interim general manager. The plan appears to be that he will keep searching for a full-time GM that will work underneath him. Now, Rutherford has been around the NHL for a very long time. He is 72 years old, which means he makes Bruce Boudreaux feel young. But his accomplishments in the front office are numerous and extremely impressive. Jim Rutherford was part of the Hockey Hall of Fame class of 2019 with his old boss Mario Lemieux helping to induct him. Rutherford was a general manager of the Penguins when they won back-to-back Stanley Cups in 2016 and 2017. He's a guy who is known as someone who is not afraid to make trades to improve his team. Before Pittsburgh, he spent 20 years with the Hartford Whalers who became the Carolina Hurricanes, and he won a Stanley Cup with them in 2006. Before that, Rutherford was a goalie in the NHL, spending 13 years playing with various teams. He always had the good mask, when he was with the Red Wings, he had little wings coming out of his eyes. Uh, Travis Hamannick has been put on injured reserve after hurting his leg last night against the Bruins, body checked by guess who? Brad Marchand. The Canucks have called up Noah Juleson from Abbotsford, who is an Abbotsford and was acquired from Florida earlier this year for Oleo Levy. Now, something that Bruce Boudreau did when he came to Vancouver was listen to some of his star players who wanted to try some things that presumably Travis Green wasn't willing to allow them to do, like killing penalties. Quinn Hughes, for one, wants to be more than just the blue liner who leads the rush and the power play. He wants to have a more rounded game, and Boudreaux is willing to let him do that.
10: I'm tired of hearing about, um, you know, just an offense defenseman or whatever it is. And uh, so for me, um, the knock has always been that I'm not very good defensively. And, yeah, I'm not going to be as good as some guys defensively. That's the reality. But, um, you know, I think that it's something I can build into my game. you know, I got to earn my ice time on the penalty kill, and if I do a good job, I'm sure they'll, you know, keep putting me out there. And that was the message. So, um, it's up to me. But uh, I think I did a good job out there, and um, it means a lot
6: to me for sure. First day, he says, listen. Last year, I was minus 24, and I took take a lot of pride in in that. And so he's plus four or, some, or plus five at this stage. So he was. Uh, uh, He's really proud of that. And that's when he's wanted to start penalty killing. I mean, and we're not taking a lot of penalties, thank goodness. But I mean, you know, we told him he's going to kill penalties now.
7: Now, the Canucks won last night's game over Boston via the shootout. And for a new coach, a shootout is something you probably don't think much about at first. But the coach is the one who has to decide which three players will take the first three shots. So when the game was over last night, someone asked Bruce Boudreaux, how did you decide? Which three Canucks would shoot against the Bruins?
6: Mm, no, I, I, it was, uh, we get stats. Uh, JT, I know, lo- loves the, the, the pressure. And uh, the, I know that already after about four days. And then once we had the one nothing lead, I was saying, OK, Garland's got great numbers, but so does Horvat, And I'd rather save Garland. He seems to be always in it near the end so let the captain who had a great game defensively get that opportunity and if they had have scored and we didn't then Garland would have went next
7: Leafs and Lightning we got one more little tidbit between uh, Boudreaux and Rutherford in a second we'll watch this though Uh, Steve Stamkos, this is a good game between two very good teams Stamkos with a slap shot, 13th of the year 2-1 for Tampa Bay William Nylander though would tie it
12: moves it forward just goes straight
7: into the top corner. And then Andre Pallat. Actually, I think this is tipped in the net by Nylander. Let's see. Yeah. 5-3 final. Tampa Bay beats Toronto. Uh, Port Moody's Kent Johnson, we have talked about him before, who was a star at the University of Michigan and the fifth overall pick in last year's NHL draft by Columbus was not in Calgary today for day one of Canada's World Junior Camp. He is uh, currently in COVID protocol back in Michigan, but he is expected to join the team later this week. Uh, This year's World Juniors will begin Boxing Day in Edmonton. Now, the other day, there was a report, like there was earlier this year, that Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson is willing to be traded to a few teams, New Orleans, the Giants, and Denver. And when he finally got asked about that rumor today, he said, don't believe everything you hear.
0: You know, no, that's not that's not that's not in my head right now at all. I, I didn't say that either. Um, so you know, I, I'm I'm focused on what we're doing here. Obviously, I, I love Seattle. This is a place that I've I've loved every day, every moment. Uh, I talked to you guys about joy last week. Um, you know, when I hurt my finger, you realize that you know every day you just you, you want to take advantage of every day. I've always had that mindset. But just um, you know, I love this I love this this place. I love the space.
10: I love where my mind's at. I love where our team's at.
7: Now, some stats people around the NHL did some digging today after they found out that Jim Rutherford was going to take over the Canucks. Mm-hmm. And they discovered that Bruce Boudreaux's mm-hmm. first-ever NHL goal was against Jim Rutherford.
2: Mm-hmm. I saw that.
7: Wow. Boudreaux actually it all was comes a, back together, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Years later, they come back together. Boudreaux actually was a great scorer, but he spent most of his time in the minors. For some reason, a lot of teams didn't give him NHL chances. Although he did say one coach told him, you're a floater. <laughs>
0: Not, not always. Always
7: looking for goals, not coming back to yeah. his own end very much. Not the, not the work ethic. But so I, he is a do as I say, not as I did coach. I think
2: they should bring back the masks, the goalie masks.
7: They do hurt when you get hit with the puck, though. But they look a lot. Yeah. Well, they, they, cool. they do have they do have paint on the mask, but they're not like the not old like ones are like to flat do, to the face. Exactly. Like you, that exactly. was
0: nasty. So far, so good for the Canucks. We'll yeah. See if they can keep it up. Thanks,
4: Squire.
2: Up next, a one-time aspiring actor changes directions for the most important role of his life as a mentor.
0: There has a lot of great characters, none like Jimmy Crescenzo, though. Yeah, when
7: Jimmy Crescenzo was a teacher at Templeton High School, he knew that some of the boys he saw at the school needed more than reading, writing, and arithmetic. They needed some life lessons. So he started the East End Boys Club A lot of people were so impressed that they signed up to help him as well. If there is a saint of East Vancouver, it might very well be this man, Jim Crescenzo, professional actor, longtime teacher at Templeton High School, and most importantly, founder of the East End Boys Club, which has provided an off-ramp for those who may have been traveling down the wrong road. So to be able to be pulled from that um, into a club where you can feel like you are a part of something and you do have that support,
9: that's what changes people's lives.
7: Jim has done that through sports and theater programs as well as mentoring and being honest about what he has gone through. Losing his father at a young age and battling Crohn's and heart disease. Because you've been given the gift of pain and suffering that when it's time to connect with kids and they say they're hurting, I can look at them and I can say, you know what? I empathize with how you feel, my friend because i'm fighting adversity every day Frank, jim's 24 7 commitment said, whatever, to changing lives caught the attention of some of the most successful people in vancouver
14: i've been involved in a lot of things around the world all philanthropic but this is the one i enjoy the most uh, there's zero bs factor with him he is uh, probably the most selfless person i've ever met and you know, he's given this he's given his entire life to these boys he really has and And, you know, it just, people like that don't come around very often. You have to support them.
4: He's just relentless. I mean, his dedication and his hard work and and how he's so passionate about, you know, connecting with these kids and reaching them and, you know, kind of diverting the path, you know, where they can go one way or they can go this way. Enzo, how are you? I, I just can't say good enough things, but he's just amazing.
7: What impresses his supporters the most is none of this is about Jim. All he cares about is offering kids a better way.
3: East Boys Club! East Boys
7: The ability to make sure that we offer something with nothing expected back, other than the word commitment, and then they test it out, and then they join us. Then it becomes their desire and their um, want to do great things.
14: Words. That's all we gave them was words. You know, we paid attention to them. We, we listened to them. And they, you know, they're, you know, now they're having a great life. And, you know, to me, that's the greatest return on investment that I can think of. And he is a saint. Uh, And uh, he deserves all the credit for this. You know, we just, we're just happy to back him.
7: Um, A lot of the uh, kids that have gone through that program still keep in touch with Jimmy Crescenzo. Frank Joostra says he's still here for them years later and and they love talking to them, they love hearing the success stories. If they need some help, they continue to help them. Sign of a good mentor.
0: Yeah, sure is. Thanks very much for watching, everyone. Have a great night.
2: Good night, all.